God, when we are still, you are able to work through us. It's very easy for us to become busy, very easy for us to be so involved and so self-absorbed in our lives that we miss you. And when we do miss you, not only do we miss relationship with you, but we miss the blessing and the peace that you bring to a life that's fully devoted to you. Father, there's always going to be the world that clamors for our attention, our jobs, people around us, hobbies, things that we have in our lives that we enjoy. Those things will always clamor for our attention, but we must put you first. Otherwise, we miss everything and we lose everything. God, I know it's easy to focus on things we should not focus on. But Father, I pray this morning that we would no longer do that. That we make a commitment this morning to make you first in our lives above all else. Father, I pray this morning that as we are here, that we would serve you not just on Sunday, but every single day of our lives. Father, we can show that by coming to you this morning and taking all the baggage that we have and putting it at your feet. Lord, we all struggle with baggage. We all struggle with issues in our lives. We hold on to it at our peril. And so, Father, we want to just come to you and just be able to go to you and ask for forgiveness. Come to you and ask for forgiveness. Father, we're just going to take a moment right now. We're all going to bring out our baggage. We're going to put it at your feet, and we're going to leave it there. Let's just do that right now. Father, forgive us for the struggles that we have in life. Lord, forgive us of our mistakes, our sinfulness, our inability to forgive, and our inability to live according to your plan. Father, we pray this morning that you would help develop us into the person that you want us to be, and we thank you that you care enough about us that you care what we do. You care what we spend our time on. You care how we speak to people. You care how we relate to people. Father, we thank you that you are so involved in our lives if we let you, that you have such a great plan for us. Father, we want to take hold of that plan. Lord, again, we thank you that you have a plan, but we've got to put aside our plan and take your plan. Father, we're just going to ask this morning the Holy Spirit would be in our lives and our hearts, pushing us, encouraging us towards right fellowship with you and towards being a part of this plan. And Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. Well, today we're going to do something a little different again. Usually at this point in time in the calendar of the year, I'm doing my Easter message. Usually I do uh, a a message on hope a couple of weeks before Easter and then Easter and then maybe a week or two afterwards um, to really build on the Easter season. But I decided I was going to do something a little different, so I actually changed the calendar uh, late this... It's not like a magical calendar I have to follow, but I sort of just changed my mind 
and uh, at the last minute, and I decided I was going to do another two-week mini-series on something that was really important. We really had, whether you want to admit it or not, we had a great time with the series of forgiveness. I mean, last Sunday just rocked, in my opinion, um, and I don't usually say that because usually I go home and say, oh, woe is me, you know, everything was horrible, and, you know, it didn't go the way I wanted to, but last week really rocked, and I know because I was in several life groups this week, and then I got feedback from several life groups, and I know that it was a really powerful discussion point, this issue of forgiveness. So I'm going to follow it up with something that will not be a powerful discussion point, um, but that we need to talk about anyway. The problem is, as Christians, is that as Christians, a lot of times, Christians that struggle with lukewarmness, Christians that struggle with being faithful with God, we say, oh God, I will do anything, but I won't do that. There is a song, it's a cheesy, stupid song, but it has a great title. And so when I was trying to think of how, what I wanted to call this miniseries, I was looking through a list of songs and uh, cheesy songs because I thought it deserved a cheesy title. And I found this one, I thought this was perfect because most Christians will say, I'll do anything, but I won't do that. Now, every service, I know there's one or two of you that think I'm going to talk about money. This has nothing to do with money. In fact, many of you have no problem with giving to God. This is, they, you have the problem with this. In fact, some people say, look, I don't want to do this. I will just give money instead. So what is it? I'll do anything for God, but I won't do that. And I know that as statistics go, 80 or 90% of you are probably in this camp. 80 or 90% of you will say, Pastor, I'll do anything for God, but I will not do that. Well, let's talk about this. And there's a really very interesting passage in Scripture that we're going to look at here this morning. Our two-week mini-series then is on why we should do that, okay? So I'm going to challenge you to do that very thing that you're not going to want to do. I'm going to challenge you because you need to do it, because God is calling you to do it, and God wants you to do it, and you have a great part to play in doing that very one thing. Well, here's our strategy as we talk about that. Does anybody know who, what that is yet? First service had no clue, so that's fine. Here's our strategy. Our strategy today is why not? Why not do it? Why do we say I'll do anything for God, but I won't do that? Why not do it? Why not start today? In fact, someone testified to me outside of church who hadn't even been in first service of what happened to them when they did that. And that was really awesome. And I appreciate that person sharing that with me. All right, we're going to look and see what the Bible says. We're going to look at a really odd passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. If you want to open your Bibles there, um, that'd be great. You definitely should do that. I'm going to open up my Bible as well there so we can look at because there's some things that we're going to look at here in the language. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verses 14 through 16. It'll be up on the Jumbotron as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to see what the Bible says here. All right, starting in verse 14. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession, okay? Use an example of the way the ancient Israelites used to worship, saying that when we've committed our life to Christ, that now we are following his plan for our lives and we're triumphant about it, we're excited about it, we're following along God's plan. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Uh-oh, that's the one thing we don't want to talk about, telling other people about Jesus. I'll do anything, pastor. I'll come to church. I'll serve. I'll give money. I'll do anything, but don't ask me to tell other people about Jesus. Well, we're going to do it. Don't worry. 
Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Or if we just take on the, series, the, the theme of the year, who is lukewarm enough to not, not lukewarm enough to do this? Or who struggles with lukewarmness? And so this is one of those issues that we're going to talk about. Uh, for our uh, State of the Church address at the beginning of the year, we talked about two things, the challenge of being lukewarm and the challenge of serving. Nothing overcomes lukewarmness. Nothing is like sharing your faith with other people. Let me just say it like we've been saying it for the last couple of months. You might be a lukewarm Christian if you don't share your faith with other people. I know that you have thousands of excuses and thousands of reasons why you don't tell other people about your relationship with God. How you come to church and you change your license plate and you paint your car before you come so that people won't know that you're coming to church. You wear your dark sunglasses even in church so that people won't see you and won't know that it's you. I know, I get it. But we're going to talk about this issue because if we want to be a part of what God is doing and not be lukewarm, it requires and necessitates that we share our faith with other people. And that we don't just do this like, you know, once in our lifetime, but that we are actively involved in talking to other people about God. So we're going to break it down, three ideas. You don't have handouts because there's plenty of other handouts this week. But um, just follow along with me. You can use one of the handouts and write it on there if you, if you want. Three ideas. First of all is that we must share God's gift with other people. That it is absolutely critical that we do this, and we're going to break down what this means. Let me just hit this uh, one or two sentences here real quickly. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. And so God is calling us to share with other people what he has done in our life. And I'm going to break it down, why we should do it, and what are the effects of that here this morning. First of all, when we accept God's free gift, we also accept his plan for our lives. What are the challenges of lukewarm Christianity? One of the challenges of just church going, church hopping, generally religious you know, just checking the box Christian, generic Christianity, is that we are not willing to accept God's plan in its entirety. Let me give you an example. Matt Faust is a friend of mine, okay? But Matt Faust is a little bit nerdy. Let's just be honest. He is, right? Matt's a little nerdy, and uh, that's just the way, way it is, all right? Now, Matt is a really nice guy, and he has an incredible gaming system at his house. So, I can go over and I can use his gaming system and it's really awesome and we can play like incredible games and it's, it's just the bomb. But when I see him at the mall, I don't really want people to know that I know him. So like last week when I saw him at the mall, I just sort of moved out of the way so that I couldn't, I didn't have to say hi to him. I didn't want anybody to know that I knew Matt because Matt's a little nerdy. I'm willing to go to his house and play games with him, but I'm not willing to acknowledge him in front of other people. Now, that's not a totally true story. I'm just picking on Matt here this morning. But our relationship with God is a lot like that, right? We choose God when it's convenient for us, but we disassociate ourselves from God when it's, when it's inconvenient for us. 
We are willing to take and try to get some of his blessings and some of his grace, but we can't even acknowledge that we have relationship with God to our friends or talk to them about him. Let me use an example for marriage. None of us would want to enter into marriage if the other person says, yeah, I'm willing to commit to you and do A, B, C in marriage, but I'm not willing to do D, E, F in marriage. Because you know what? I'm just not really there. I just only want to do a part of it. I just want to do the part that's convenient for me. The problem and the challenge for us as Christians is that God is calling each of us to share our faith with other people. And if we don't do it, if we ignore God's calling on this issue, we ignore his ability to bless our lives, and we ignore his desire to know us better and to work through us. Listen, today I am going to make Matt love CJ. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make them hug, and I'm going to make them love each other. Not in a weird way, just love each other as friends. You guys, stop laughing with them. I'm going to make them love each other. I'm going to make them do something, right? How well do you, do you get by when you try to make someone do something? Not very well, right? If I try to make people love each other, they're going to be like, no way, I'm not going to do that. God could have made us love each other enough that we would be willing to talk to other people about our faith, but instead of making us do it, he just asks us to do it. He says, listen, if you want to be in that triumphal procession with me, that you're going to be willing to wear my banner into the world, and you're going to be willing to talk to other people about me. I know that when I first got married, my wife was really embarrassed about me, right? But eventually she got over it, and she was willing to be seen in public with me. Of course, I'm being facetious, right? In the same way, we have to get over our fear and be willing to be in public with God. If we deny God in public, at best we are lukewarm. At worst, we are denying God in general. Now, I'm going to use a metaphor. I beat it to death in the first service, okay? I'm just going to warn you, I beat it to death in the first service. I don't know if I'm going to be able to beat it to death in here or what will happen. But let me just give you an example of what's going on here. And I'm going to use the metaphor. Maybe some of you have seen Black Hawk Down. Maybe you've seen, you know, movies about Vietnam, movies about Iraq, movies about Afghanistan. It, it doesn't matter because you can use whatever context you want. But a lot of times we see these movies and we see guys that are being rescued. Let's talk about this issue of rescue for a minute. Maybe there's a guy out in the jungle. Maybe there's a guy in the desert. Maybe there's a guy, you know, in the streets. And he's surrounded by his enemies and he wants to be rescued and the chopper comes in and he jumps on board, and he's rescued, right? And of course, that's what we would hope for everyone. But let's talk about this issue in relation to our faith, this metaphor. One of the problems when we encounter the Bible is understanding the language. When we accept God's free gift, we will accept his plan. The problem is, is that we as people, we have religiousized the Bible's language too much. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that the language of the Bible was not really a religious language. It was just normal language. But over time, the religiosity of it built up on it, and we all hear these words from a religious standpoint. Let me give you an example, a very good example. But thank God, he has made us captives and continuously is long Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses to spread the, the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. To those 
who are being saved and by those who are perishing. When we see that word saved, we think a religious context. But the Bible doesn't really use it in a religious context. It says that God wants to rescue us. That's what it says. The word there really is rescued or delivered. So the Bible is saying that when we admit to God that we are broken and we accept Jesus as our Savior, that God rescues us from our mistakes. He rescues us from our sinfulness. He rescues us from our brokenness. He rescues us from a life without meaning and a life without purpose and rescues us for all eternity to a life of value and an eternal life of value. And so when we think about salvation as being a rescue or a deliverance, we can get really right to the heart of the matter, which is God desires to rescue all people. But here's one of the problems. One of the problems is is that many people don't want to be rescued by God, and a lot of people don't want to, once they get rescued by God, don't want to be a part of his plan. Now, let me give you an example. God involves us in his great rescue of people. You want to know what God does? We are there in Mogadishu. We are there in the jungle. We are there in the desert. We are there battling our brokenness and our sinfulness. Because of our rebellion, we are there battling the damages that are in our lives. And then suddenly we see hope come. We see the helicopter come and it can rescue us. Whatever movie you want to, visual image you want to pick, whatever's good. But the helicopter comes and we can get on board that helicopter and be rescued from our brokenness. And that's awesome. But you know what? What would it be like if God rescued a bunch of people that we call church people today? Church people would get on board the helicopter and then they would be like, well, as it's taken off, instead of being like, Thank you, God, for rescuing me. If we could just poll the average church in America, the response is like, God, thank you, but why did you have to paint the helicopter this color? I can't fly in this helicopter. Can you put me back in the mess? Can you put me back in the battle? Uh, Pilot, where are you flying to? Because I don't really like that direction. I want to go east, not west. Can you put me back down? Because... Pilate, somebody's hurt my feelings and says something bad about me, and I can't forgive them, so I just want to go back to the battlefield. That's what it's like, right? When God rescues people, a lot of people then go to church, and then they complain, and they worry about all this and all that, and they don't take hold of what God wants for them to do, which a big part of it is rescuing other people. When we follow in Christ's triumphant procession, we are following God's plan for our lives. His plan for our lives includes things that are easy, but things that are difficult too. What are the easy things? Coming to church is easy. I know y'all are like, no, it's not. You don't have to listen to that guy. You don't know what you're talking about. But it's relatively easy. I mean, you could come incognito and no one would ever know you're here. You could do it. Coming to church is really not that difficult. Uh, What's something else that's easy? Well, reading your Bible, praying, not terribly difficult. Giving money, yeah, I know. But, you know, giving to tithing, offering, that's that's not that hard. But you know what the things that are really difficult is? Is serving other people. Loving them so much you'll serve them. Teaching other people. Nobody wants to teach anyone the Bible. Because we're all afraid. What if I do it wrong? Or I don't have the time? Or all kinds of other excuses. 
And finally, the big issue is I will do anything for God, but don't ask me to tell other people about Jesus. You know, we live in a world where the world has convinced us that it is impolite to rescue people and to help rescue people. That's the problem. There are people in our world, and there have been since the dawn of time, who don't want to be rescued. We're going to talk about them in a minute. They don't want to be rescued, and they don't want anyone else to be rescued either. And we, when we try to rescue people, we are labeled as intolerant, impolite, rude, angry, bigoted, whatever word you want to use. Just because we want to rescue people, really, we're not even the one doing the rescue. We just want to see people be rescued. The same way we were rescued. If you're here this morning and you're not lukewarm, you're excited about the fact that God rescued you, that when the chopper came, you got on board. I am. What about you? Are you excited you got on board? Or once you got on board, did you worry about the fact that the chopper didn't have the right curtains? Or the fact the chopper came too early and you really don't like to get up at 9.30 or even 11 on Sunday? The chopper should have came Saturday night, 8 o'clock. God involves us in his great plan to rescue people. This is the thing. We have the opportunity to be there and to actually help people get on board the chopper. There are a lot of people in our world who want to get on the chopper but have never heard about it, and especially in the Bay Area. We'll talk about this in a minute, but in the Bay Area, there's a lot of people who don't even know anyone who's a believer in Christ. There are people, believe it or not, even in America, who don't actively have a friendship with someone who's not a believer in Christ. They don't know how to get on the chopper. They don't even know what the chopper is. They've been told the chopper is something other, some crazy thing that they read about in the newspaper or they read about on t- or hear on TV or something. And so when we are able to love someone and tell them about how they can get on board, a lot of people are going to say yes. Some people say no, but a lot of people are going to say yes. But it doesn't matter because if we want to be true followers of Jesus, that we will invite as many people as possible that we will get in that helicopter and we will fly around the entire world necessarily to invite as many people as possible that's what we'll do and we won't be ashamed of it we won't be embarrassed of it we won't be convinced by those people that don't want to be on board that what we're doing is wrong or evil or bad or any of those other things so here's the thing When we do what God asks, the Bible says it's a sweet smell to him, as sweet as Christ's sacrifice for us. Now, let me just break it down for you, because in the ancient world, people did not have 57-inch TV screens. They didn't have movie theaters. They didn't have, what do they call those? In my day, they called them boom boxes, but they don't call it now. What do they call it? They call it like a a ghetto box or something. Ghetto blaster. (laughs) That's crazy. I don't know. I hope that's not a, a bad word. I don't know. I just I always called it a boombox, and then one day somebody told me you can't call it a boombox anymore. <laughs> anyway, they didn't have those things in the ancient world. In the ancient world, there were senses that we had, same ones today, sight, smell, taste, sound, you know, visual, and sound. But the difference was is that because we weren't inundated by visual and auditory inputs, smell was considered to be a, a big sense. So What the Bible is saying is that when we worship God and we do what he wants, that it's a sweet smell to him. There's a metaphor, an example of it in the Old Testament where people would make sacrifices to God 
and they would see the smoke rise up in the sky and they would say it smells good to God. Basically, what the Bible's saying is it looks good, okay? If we make a poster and we show it to our friend and the, and the friend says, what do you think about this? And the friend says, yeah, it looks good, looks good. That's what is saying here is that they're using the sense of smell instead of visual because visual is not as important as it is today. Let me ask you a question. A couple weeks ago, we did our series on God as a living God. Is God alive? Yes. Is, does God have an opinion and a feeling? Did you know that if, because God is not idle, that when we do what God wants us to do, that God looks at us and is like, that looks good to me, man. That he's happy with us? Because we're doing what God asks. When we share our faith with other people, God looks at us and says, it sounds good, it looks good, it smells good to me. That's what the Bible's saying here. The problem is is that many of us Christians, we are committed to doing the least, right, rather than the most. We do the least, and yet God wants us to do the most for Him, not the least. It is critical that if we don't claim to be lukewarm Christians, that we do what God calls us to do. And sharing our faith with other people is a big, big, big piece of the puzzle. In fact, I would say it's so big a piece of the puzzle that failure to do so will condemn you to a lukewarm, unhappy existence of just going to church and religion. Because if you love God so much that you're willing to walk in His procession, If you like Matt enough that you're willing to go to his house and play video games, you'll be willing to admit that you know him at the mall. And you'll be willing to introduce him to other friends of yours too. It's kind of like Facebook, right? I mean, I don't really want anybody to know I'm friends with Matt, so he tried to befriend me on Facebook, and I turned him down like 80 times, right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're Facebook friends. But that's what it's like, right? We're with, we don't want other people to know that we're friends with God. But it cannot stand. My friends, it cannot stand. You cannot do that. It is a lie, and it does not work. It does not work. Two things, real quickly. Here's funny. This is, this is a joke. Well, it's not a joke. It's very serious. But it's ironic, I guess is really the word. The Bible says this. But the fragrance that we emit, the smell that we give off, really the look, the sound that we make, The perception of other people for us is perceived differently by those who are going to be rescued and by those who are going to perish. To those who are going to perish, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. Yes, the Bible says that when we approach someone who is not interested in the gospel and we talk to them about knowing God, that we stink to high heaven. That's right, spiritually speaking. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. The thing is, is that we smell bad, we look bad, we sound bad to people who are perishing, who are not going to accept Christ because we remind them of what they are choosing to ignore and what they are denying. Listen, it's a fact of life that some people are going to reject God, okay? I wish it were different. The Bible is clear that God desires no one to perish, that, no, that, that he desires that no one will reject him. But the fact of life is that there are going to be some people who are going to reject God their entire life. Okay? 
I don't know. I'm not God. You'll have to take it up with him. But it's just a fact that that's going to happen. When we go to those people and we share our faith with them, this is what happens. We seem more abundant to them. We stink of death and decay. Why is that? Well, let me explain why. See, here's the problem. All of us start out life fighting the fight against our own rebellion, against our own sinfulness. We're fighting with our neighbors. We're fighting with our boss. We live in a state of disharmony and conflict. The Bible calls that sin or brokenness. And we live like that our whole life until such time as someone says, hey, you don't have to wage this war. There's a chopper coming. All you need to do is get on board that chopper and take it out of here. And you know what? If you're here today and you've confessed Christ, when that chopper came, even if you didn't really understand it fully, even if you didn't know exactly where the pilot was going, you didn't care about the color of the, uh, you know, the curtains on the, in the, well, first of all, no helicopter should have curtains, okay, unless maybe it's, you know, the presidents or something like that. You didn't care about that stuff. You just got on board the helicopter. And now you're flying around trying to rescue as many of your comrades as possible, as many of your friends as possible, as many of your brethren as possible. And you know what? <clears throat> when you go to someone who doesn't want to know God, you have the smell of death about you because you're talking to them about things they're not interested in. What do a lot of people do when things are going well for them? They grow up, they go to high school, yeah, they didn't have a perfect, parents got divorced, they go to college, they get a good job, they make a lot of money, they've got lots of toys, their relationship with their wife and their kids is, eh, you know, but it's okay, I've got, I've got, you, I got a brand new Bugatti Varen in the garage, right? The, yeah, Simon Cowell, right, exactly. I don't know if I pronounced his name right, right? That's a good car, it's a, the million dollar car, right? And, and things are good. And then you have this friend who dares to come to you and say, you're going to die someday. And, you know, you, you, you have all the sin and brokenness in your life. And, you know, what's going to happen to you? You have a friend who comes to you and says, you know, there's things more important than just having fun. There's more important things. And it stinks to those people. Why? Because their life is focused on their pleasure and their enjoyment, where they can get the next uh, drink, where they can get the next drug, where they can get the next chick, where they can get the next whatever, next toy, whatever it is. And they don't want to hear about higher things. They don't want to hear about being rescued because they're enjoying the fight. They're enjoying the fight. They don't want to get on the chopper because they're enjoying the fight too much. They're winning in their mind. I got a Bugatti. I'm winning this fight. You know, my friends, <clears throat> it's not that we shouldn't try to rescue those people, but I want to just give you, uh, give you a suggestion. A lot of you have someone in your life who you love very much and wish would become a believer in Christ. And what happens is, is that there are different ways of approaching it. But I can tell you one way that won't work. This is what the average Christian, lukewarm Christian does. They become a Christian, and they get on the chopper. 
And then they realize that they're going to complain about the pilot. They're going to complain about the seat. that they're, It's not a comfortable seat. I can't sit in this for a long ride. Are we, going to be, are we going to be driving? Are we going to be flying around a lot? I really don't want to do that. And then they realize that their husband or their wife or their brother, sister, or their mom and dad are not believers in Christ. So they're like, oh, uh, even though I haven't been a good passenger, can we just try to go over there and pick them up real quick? And they make a half-hearted attempt to try to pick up the other person. The other person says, no, I don't want to get on that chopper. You're up there complaining. Why would I want to get on this chopper? By the way, why do non-Christians, some of them, view us as hypocrites? Because they see us as hypocrites because when we're asked to get on the chopper, we get on the chopper and we complain about it. Why would you get on the chopper and complain about it? I'd rather just stay here and party. It's just a lot easier. It's more fun. Why get on the chopper and complain? Blah, blah, blah. Pilot does this, Pilot doesn't do that. Let me suggest to you that that strategy will not work. The more people that you share the gospel with, the better you will get at sharing the gospel, the more people you will rescue, and by the way, the more people will be rescued. Anybody remember that old uh, seven degrees from Kevin Bacon that was popular like 10 years ago? Anybody remember that, that idea? Kevin Bacon was in so many movies. You guys are less culturally savvy. Then first service, what's up with that? Uh, maybe not. Maybe you just know it and just is like a bad memory. But they used to say that Kevin Bacon was in so many movies that every person in the world could relate back to Kevin Bacon within seven degrees. And the problem is most of us can't relate to Kevin Bacon in one degree. And we may not be able to relate to someone who is a non-believer and resistant or scared of knowing Christ in one degree. But the more people that we rescue and the more people that get on board the chopper, the easier it'll be for other people around them. Your husband that's not a Christian? Okay, rest, try, to, try to tell him to get on board. But you know what? If you can't do him, get his sister, get his brother, get his mom. Get them on board. Then you have more people clamoring for them to be on board with you. But most Christians, most lukewarm Christians, they just make a feeble attempt at sharing with like one person who's never going to do it because it's not enough compelling enough. It's not compelling enough because they see our lifestyle. We seem more abundant to people who reject God. We don't seem okay. We seem problematic to them. We seem problematic to them because they don't want what we're offering because they think that it's going to ruin their party. And you know what? A small percentage will stay that way their whole life. God's plan smells sweet to other people. Here's the thing, though. Just like some people are going to say yes, say no, some people that you go to that are going to rest, that, that with the desire to see them be rescued, are going to be like, heck yeah, I'm getting on board. I mean, just this week, I met this guy for the first time. Rex and I went to where he worked, and I went in, and I was like, hey, want to invite you to Easter, want to tell you about the church, all this stuff, you know? I don't know if you'll ever come to church. And he was like so excited, not offended, not angry, excited because we cared enough to invite him. My wife has been sharing her faith with a lady that for a couple months that she sees once a month. And you know what? Also, doesn't know how to get on the chopper, is not committed to getting on the chopper, but is excited that the chopper is out there and wants to learn more about the chopper. There are going to be a lot of people to whom the gospel sells, smells sweet to. By the way, I forgot something that I think is really important. 
as we are trying to understand God's desire for our lives as we finish up here. You know one reason why there's the smell of death and the smell of life and why the Bible uses this? is because we Christians miss this. We lukewarm Christians, we miss this regularly. But here's what happens. Rex and I were talking this week, and he had heard, a friend of his is, has a quote that he uses a lot. It's a great quote. And the quote is this, that the greatest act of healing by God is death. Let me say that again. The greatest act of healing by God is death. Now, if we read our Bibles, we know why that is. Why is that? Well, it's because that our frame, our body here in this world is subject to decay and deterioration no matter how much Botox we put in it, no matter how you know, much gene therapy we get. We have struggles, we have issues, and the body breaks down. But if we are in Christ in that triumphant procession, then when the moment that we die, the moment we pass from this world, that we are resurrected in a brand new body and that we are up there in God's house. It's not really up there. But we go and dwell with God immediately. I know the Bible uses metaphors of gold and stuff. It probably is not going to be like that, not literally. There's going to be a place where God dwells and that's where we will be. And you know what? The Bible says that there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, for the old order of things has passed away. That's Revelation. And that will be the greatest act of healing that we ever experience because we are transformed from being totally imperfect in every way to being completely perfect. But there are many people out there who don't want that kind of change. They'd rather die in the glory of their Bugatti. They'd rather die in the, in, the, in the glory of their drinking. They'd rather die in the glory of their money. They'd rather die in their glory of themselves than be rescued by God. When I was growing up, they used to say it's better to burn out than fade away, right? To really rehash a lot of really bad old rock songs, right, this morning. And there are people who are like that. But I'm going to tell you what, there are a lot of people who don't want to go out that way. There are a lot of people who realize that that's just a bad, stupid way of doing it. And they want to get on the chopper. But you know what? The biggest problem that most people have is that, number one, they don't know how to get on the chopper. Number two, they don't think they know anyone on the chopper. I mean, 1% of people in San Jose attend church, at least on this side of town. They don't know, nobody knows anybody who actually is a committed follower of Jesus. And number three, they see people on the chopper fighting and complaining and crying and moaning about what's going on. And also not inviting other people. You know, I don't know if this is a true story. But urban legend says this is a true story. There was a guy who was uh, on, in jail. Uh, he was on death row. And a chaplain, a Methodist chaplain, came to him and shared with him the gospel about how he could be right with God and have eternal life. And the guy said, I am not going to do it because I don't believe it. And the, and the chaplain asked him, why? And he said, because you know what? Your life doesn't prove it. Because if you really believe that, that this, knowing God, would give me abundant life and eternal life, you would be out there day and night ceaselessly telling other people about Jesus. But because you don't do it, I know that it's not real. And according to the story, the guy never became a believer and died that way. Because non-Christians, instead of seeing us inviting them, they see us bickering and complaining 
in the chopper that's rescuing us. The chopper's doing this when it's supposed to be in and out and getting people. And it's just doing this, spinning around, everybody's fighting, everybody's arguing. For many people, God's plan will smell sweet. Many people will hear the good news and they'll rejoice. Listen, over and over and over again, do not believe the lie of the world that no one wants to hear the gospel. That is the lie of the world and it will cause you to fail and it will cause you to stumble in your relationship with God. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Bay Area of all places here in America. Noel and I both, I know because I live with her, so I talk to her more than I talk to any of you. But over and over again, we share the gospel with people and no one ever gets mad. Most people are just scared to get on board and they're disoriented because they've been fighting their whole life against this mess. They're scared to get on board. They need help. And they're open to it. It smells good to them. It looks good to them. They want to do it. They just don't know how. My friends, the greatest disservice you can do to those people, the greatest act of hate that you can do to those people is not tell them what God has done for them. Because if you love them, you'll want them to be rescued, right? I do, and I know that you do. If you love them, you will want to see them rescued. If you love them, you'll at least give them the chance to be rescued. You can't make them get on board, but at least you give them the opportunity to do that very thing. But the problem is, is that many of us will make up excuses and come up with reasons why we can't share with other people. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's just that. It's easy. All you need to do is just give them an invitation. I mean, I've... We try to make it so incredibly easy. Just give them an invite. I mean, that's not the best way. You're not going to rescue a lot of people that way. But you know what? It's a start. You can just tell people, look, I don't really know how to explain all this to you, but I know that God did something awesome in my life. And I think if you read the Bible or maybe come to church, you, you might figure some of it out too. might help you. Try it. You know, I say that over and over to people. People say, oh, I'm not sure about that. I say, try it and see. If you don't like it, fine. And you find out real quickly, look, it's just, I mean, it's the truth. You find out real quickly that most people are scared. They don't want to try it. But those that do, those that do oftentimes make the commitment and it lasts for forever. But the more we love them, the more we reach out to them, the more helicopters we send for them, the more chances they'll have. Again, if you have a husband, a wife, a mother, a dad who's not a believer, don't do it the crazy, lukewarm Christian way, which is to half-heartedly send one shopper after this person. Reach out to all their friends, all their neighbors. Have them come to Christ. Then you'll have lots of choppers going after that person to rescue them. All shouting, come on, get on board. You can do it. Get on board. Leave that war behind. Leave that life behind. Get on board. If we love God, we will do it. If we love God, we will share with other people. Easter is the best time to do it. So my prayer for you today is that you will do that. That you will not make this a Sunday thing where you flush it after you leave but that you will be passionate about inviting other people to know God and talking with other people about how they can. You don't have to, you're not the rescuer. You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to try. 
Better to try and fail than not try at all. And by the way, again, let me say, this is what separates the men from the boys. It's what separates the sheep from the goats. It's what separates the wheat from the chaff. It's what separates the lukewarm from those who are fully committed followers of Jesus, for whom God says, smells good, looks good, sounds good to me. I am pleased with you. And that's my prayer for us here at BBC. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we pray that we would all be committed to serving you, to following you. But, Father, included in that is telling other people about you. Father, help us to be good communicators of the gospel. Help us to help people to be rescued. Lord, help us to be on that jubilant chopper where people step on board. There's no greater feeling, I don't think, in this life than seeing someone get out of the jungle, get out of the warfare that they're in, climb on board the chopper, and go home. And Father, my prayer is that we would help people do that. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that your, your spirit would empower us to do that, especially this Easter. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.